The black zip tie was pulled so tight the 17-year-old's neck was squeezed to only three inches around when they found her. Just an hour earlier, Casey Crowder was behind the wheel of her Dodge Durango listening to music, driving home. Not a care in the world. Then she ran out of gas, and the final minutes of her life started ticking down. Let's go back to August 27th, 2006. It's dark. There's still about an hour before the sun comes up when 17-year-old Casey Crowder runs out of gas on an Arkansas highway. Dumas, where she broke down, is a sleepy little southern town about 40 miles from the closest little big city, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, where Casey was a high school senior. Casey makes a series of calls between 5.53 and 6.39 a.m. At one point, she gets her mom on the phone and tells her she's out of gas, but not to worry, she'll call a friend for help. If her friend doesn't pick up, she'll walk to a gas station. But here's the twist. Casey was supposed to be spending the night with her best friend. That's what she told her mom when she left the house the night before. Instead, she went to a party, then stayed over at her boyfriend Adam's house. He had recently moved from Pine Bluff to a place outside of Damas. Casey was a smart girl, close to her parents and a lovingly bossy sister of three younger brothers. A real spitfire, that's what everyone called her. But sneaking out to a party and spending the night at her boyfriend's, that was a bridge too far for her mom. So, as she told Full House magazine, she said, Fine, you're old enough to sneak out, then you're old enough to get yourself out of this jam. It was supposed to be a teaching moment. Then, Casey disappeared. When she didn't walk through the front door that afternoon, the teenager's worried parents drove toward Adam's place looking for her. That's when they saw Casey's Dodge Durango on the side of the highway. Hazards flashing, door locked. Their daughter was nowhere in sight. The guilt tore Casey's mother apart. One decision to let Casey handle car trouble herself changed their family forever. Now it was all about finding out what happened to her daughter after she hung up the phone. A week passed. Then they found Casey. Six miles from Casey's abandoned Dodge, a search party noticed something ominous in the sky. Buzzards circling a section of the canal. When they checked it out, their worst fears were confirmed. It was Casey. She lay in the drainage ditch with a black zip tie tied around her neck. She was still dressed, and it didn't look like she'd been sexually assaulted, but she'd been clawing at the zip tie around her neck, trying to get her fingers under it to breathe. Who would do this to a 17-year-old girl? Investigators hoped one of the businesses along the highway would have some answers. It was early in the morning when she broke down. The highway was almost empty. Any movement caught on camera could be a clue. Gas station security footage proved Casey never made it there, but the Sonic Fast Food Place recorded something interesting. One vehicle catches their eye, a white Chevy truck passing the Sonic at 6.42 a.m., heading towards Casey's car. Three minutes later, the truck is back on camera, driving the opposite direction, a lot faster this time. Another camera outside the Dollar General picks up the truck again. It seems to be heading toward the area Casey's body was found. Now that they had a lead on the vehicle, they needed to meet the driver. Two days later, 46-year-old Kenneth Osborne showed up at the police station. He heard they wanted to talk to him, so he gave his permission to search his house and truck. 
Kenny was a recent widower with two kids, a son and a daughter. He worked as a long-haul truck driver, but his days of crisscrossing the country were over. On September 28, 2006, he was arrested for Casey's kidnap and murder. Phone records showed that around 7 a.m., his phone pinged off a tower near the spot Casey's car was found. Less than an hour later, it pinged again near the spot where her body was found. And here's a strange twist. At 7.04 a.m., Casey's phone attempted to call the number 1550. Was she trying to dial 911? Scratches were seen on Kenny's arms. Did Casey fight back? Maybe, although no DNA evidence came up at trial. Kenny said his dog scratched him. Then there was the eyewitness sighting. A woman by the name of Nancy Dunn said she was driving to town when she saw Kenny driving on the highway. She waved at him as she always did, but he didn't wave back. But here's the kicker. Nancy saw a girl next to him sort of slumped over toward him like she was sleeping. Nancy thought it was Kenny's daughter, who also happened to be Nancy's co-worker at that time. But when Nancy got to work, his daughter was already there. So who was next to Kenny in the car? The second day he was questioned, Kenny confessed to the murder. Officers think he lured Casey into his truck with the offer of a ride to a gas station. Then he strapped a zip tie around her neck, then dragged her off the highway, intending to sexually violate her, but she strangled to death first. Her shoes were found away from her body, and the boxers she wore as shorts were torn in the groin area. But Kenny didn't confess to the whole scenario. He only admitted to putting the zip tie around Casey's neck. Then he claimed he had just watched her struggle to breathe as she ran towards the spot she was found. Only two people were there that morning, Casey and her killer, so the truth about her last moments might never be known. But there's another victim with a story to tell, and Casey might not have been Kenny's first. Kenny's first attempt was back in 1981, according to a woman by the name of Connie Sparks. She testified her sister was engaged to a then 22-year-old Kenny. 18-year-old Connie was married to a truck driver, one night, she says her husband was out of town for work when Kenny knocked on her door looking for a favor. He needed a ride. His car had broken down on the side of the road. Connie agreed to help. Kenny was her sister's fiancé, after all. But as it turned out, he wanted something very different from her. Kenny directed her to drive to an isolated spot with no car in sight. When they stepped out onto the side of the road, she says he grabbed her by the throat and started ripping at her clothes and grabbing her breasts. When he tried to reach into her pants, she managed to kick him in the groin and escape. It's hard to ignore the similarities between Connie's story and Casey's. But some people still think Kenny's innocent. And here's why. There are two documentaries on this case, one filmed in 2017 as an episode of a true crime series called See No Evil. The episode's title was Breakdown at Daylight, streaming on the Investigation Discovery Channel. Two years later, Netflix covered this case in a series called The Confession Tapes. The episode title is Gaslight because of the way police got Kenny's confession. Let's dig into that eyewitness statement a little more. When Nancy Dunn was asked what color the hair of the girl in Kenny's truck was, she answered, black. But Casey had blonde hair. Did she really see what she thought she did? 
Everybody in the neighborhood knew Kenny as a nice guy. August 27th, 2006 was a typical morning. According to his daughter, Kenny drove her to town around 6. They had breakfast at a restaurant called Matthew's. She remembered a vehicle on the side of the road but didn't see anyone around. Around 9 a.m., Kenny went to a friend's house for barbecue, which, yes, is a little strange at that hour, but hey, it's the South. And no one noticed him acting like a man who'd just killed a 17 year old girl. But then again, if you've got it in you to do something that awful, you can probably put on a smile and chow down on some potato salad. The jury agreed. In January 2008, Kenny was found guilty of capital murder and kidnapping. He got life without parole. But that's not the end of this story. A year later, his conviction was overturned by the Arkansas Supreme Court. Why didn't the first verdict stick? Because of how they got his confession. On September 28, 2006, the cops questioned Kenny in a shed in the sheriff's backyard. Sounds a little bit strange, right? Well, it was, but they said it was to avoid the press at the police station. Now, you probably already know officers are allowed to lie to suspects. It's a tactic. In this case, they told Kenny his truck was caught on a satellite image near Casey's body. And it sort of was, but not for the reason you think. An investigator drove it there and got the picture from a federal agent in an airplane. Hence the Netflix episode title, Gaslight. More important than that, though, was the fact that Kenny asked for a lawyer, but they didn't stop the interrogation. Even though the conviction was thrown out, Kenny stayed behind bars. Just when Casey's family was preparing themselves for trial number two, Kenny pled guilty again in 2014, this time to a lesser charge of second degree murder. He got 40 years. He'll be up for parole in 2025. However, Kenny's family and friends still think they got the wrong guy. They say investigators used his family to coerce both confessions out of him, implying he'd never see them again, encouraging him to save his family the pain of trial, even hinting they might start to look closer at his son if he didn't confess a second time. So, what do you think? Is Kenneth Osborne Casey Crowder's killer or just another victim? And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.